The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. As I was thinking and praying for the church this week, a thought came to my mind. And I just want to take a, a, a short moment here to reflect upon it. I know many of you may be um, anxious or restless, um, perhaps not knowing what to feel during a, a, a season like Abner Creek's in right now. I mean, you have an interim pastor, you have an interim music director, and now you're also in transition with student ministry. And so the thought came to me this week um, that maybe you're tempted to think, what is going wrong around here? Like, uh, I, asked, I mean, I talked to someone this week and they said, a, a, a visitor, they said, has there been a problem recently? And... Um, so I just want to encourage you maybe to think from a different perspective that the Lord clearly has Abner Creek as a church in a season right now, a season of transition. And what if nothing's wrong? What if nothing was wrong which led to the previous leadership to leave? What if the Lord just had their time called to another place? And I mean, I, I love Scott Ogle to death. Scott taught me how to preach I have great debt to Scott. I'm thankful for Scott. But just because leadership has transitioned out, that doesn't leave God now fumbling over what's the plan going to be for Abner Creek. And the plan has been what it is right now all along. And the Lord has it. And so I would just encourage you to think from the perspective of not what is wrong, but what does the Lord have for us in this new season? How will the Lord use each of you to play a special part in what the Lord has had planned for Abner Creek. The plan has been made for the previous men that we love and respect. And now this church gets to see how the Lord is going to work here in the plan that he already has. So I just want to take a moment and pray before we hear from God's word. Father, we thank you that you are the true shepherd, the, the lead shepherd of this church. And I just pray... For this church in a, in a big season of, of transition that, that the church's perspective will be on you and your leadership, that, that you have not been surprised, nor are you wasting time, but each day you're leading in wisdom and your timing is perfect. And so I just pray that you will help the church trust in you above all. Help us now as we open your word to hear from it. The great truth, Lord, yet not I, but Christ in us. Help us to, to sense the weight of the moment of hearing God's word preached. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please turn in your copy of God's holy and perfect word to Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Philippians 2, verse 12. Jesus once said this himself. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. How do you handle commands given to you? If your love this morning was demonstrated... 
If your love for Jesus today was demonstrated by how well you keep his commandments or not, would the results show that you actually love Jesus? If you're a professing Christian, is there a difference in your life today than when you first believed? Are you more godly, more mature in your faith? Are you growing in holiness? Are you more like Jesus today than when you first believed in Jesus? As we become more like Jesus, we know his commandments and we obey his commandments. If you're like me, I find it, I find it easier to obey commands given to me when they're given from someone that I respect and from someone that I know has my best interest at heart. Authority and obedience in the Bible, when practiced rightly, always serves to the best interest of others. Authority and obedience and commands certainly go wrong with sinful men, but when practiced rightly, it always serves to the best interest of others. The reality is God is the ultimate authority figure in our lives. He is the one we all must answer to one day, as we were reminded of last week, that there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord of all. God is the ultimate authority in our lives. And he has spoken and he has given commands to his people. And these commands serve to form his people into his likeness. His commands shape us to become more and more like Jesus. And this is why God saved us, to deliver us from sin and to transform us into producing fruits of righteousness that give glory to him. And God certainly expects his people to obey his commands. He wants us to grow in Christ's likeness. He wants us to become more godly in nature and action. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3 is quite clear about what God wants. It says, "This is the will of God." Have you ever wondered what the will of God is for your life? 1 Thessalonians 4:3 is clear. "This is the will of God, your sanctification." To be sanctified means to be set apart, to be set apart from sin and set apart to following Christ. This is the will of God. But the question is, how? How do we grow in our obedience to God? How do we grow in becoming more like Christ? And that is what Paul addresses in our text of study this morning. And before I work through the passage, I need to say a a word to anyone that is here that is not yet a believer. And this is absolutely crucial. If you are a non-believer today, I'm glad you're here. We're all glad you're here. You are welcome here anytime. But what you will hear in this sermon this morning is for believers. And I tell you that so that you won't get the wrong idea about God. And this is crucial for believers to remember as well. This sermon will talk a lot about obedience and working toward godliness and becoming holy. And the last thing you need to do is to walk away thinking, I can become a Christian by obeying God. 
God will approve of me if I will just grow in godliness, if I will just be a little bit better, then God will approve of me. And that is completely false. The Bible teaches that we are all sinners who have disobeyed God and we cannot keep His commandments as we should. No one becomes a Christian by keeping the commandments of God. You cannot keep the commandments of the Bible perfectly. And because we've broken God's commandments, His holy law, we deserve righteous punishment. Like, if we're standing before the jury, the jury gives the verdict, and we rightly deserve the guilty punishment. But this is why Jesus, this is why God sent Jesus. Jesus came, and Jesus obeyed the commandments perfectly in every single way. But then Jesus died and was pinned to a cross. And it was the plan of God because in Jesus being pinned to a cross, he became the substitute to take the punishment for sinners like me and you who did not keep the commandments of God. And so God's offer to sinful men like me and you is that if we would repent of our sin and ask God to forgive us and if we would put all of our faith in the work of Christ... His death and his, his resurrection, God will save. And that is for you this morning. If you're a non-believer, that is the news that you need to hear. Keeping God's commands does not save you. Your salvation does not come from what you do or what you don't do. Your salvation comes from what Jesus has done for you. And will you believe in him today? It's always an open call for me. I never know truly who's a believer in our midst, truly who's a non-believer. But if there is a time, like today, that you trust in Christ for the first time, I would just ask you that after the service, you would find me. I mean, interrupt a conversation that I'm having. Do whatever it takes to let me know. I want to help you in your walk with Christ. But as Christians, we believe that in salvation, God gives us a new heart with new desires that want to obey his commandments. We believe that when God saves us, he transforms us into new people that take delight in obeying him. Christians want to obey God, and that's the focusing point of the sermon today. How do we grow in obedience to Christ now that he has transformed us? Well, look with me in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. Just two verses this morning. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul starts out in verse 12. He says, therefore, my beloved. He's connecting what he is about to say with what he has just recently said in chapter 1. And if you remember in our study of chapter 1, he has given the church some commands. Commands like, let your life be worthy of the gospel. Be united in the church. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Look after the interest of others. Have the mind of Christ among yourselves. Practice humility like Jesus has practiced and modeled before us. 
And so he gives all these commands in chapter 1. And then he says, verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation. And let's look at some of these phrases in the text. I encourage you to keep your Bible open and work through the text with me. He says, as you have always obeyed. There's the theme of obedience I mentioned in the introduction. What role does obedience have in the Christian life? And there's a danger in some circles, perhaps you've heard it, there's a danger in some circles to discard the idea of obedience in the Christian life. In an attempt to guard against legalism, there's a temptation to just throw away obedience altogether. They say, stop being so legalistic talking about obeying God. You don't have to obey God. Jesus doesn't want your obedience. Jesus has obeyed for you. We are under grace after all. But church, if if we are to be a fully Bible people, we must hold the various themes of Scripture in proper proportion. We are a gospel people, which means we love emphasizing the work of Jesus done on our behalf. However, the work of Jesus done on our behalf in the place of sinners, rightly understood, is a work that results in transformed living. It results in a life that submits to God in obedience and produces fruits of righteousness, certainly not perfectly, but certainly progressively. Those who are saved by Jesus are transformed by Jesus, meaning if you've been saved, you've been changed. So believer, how are you doing obeying Jesus and his commands? Jesus said in the Great Commission, some of his last words on earth, to go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded Obedience must be part of the Christian life. We are not justified by our obedience. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But we are saved to a life of pursuing faithful obedience. Recently, I visited one of our members who is homebound. He's 93 years old. I never met this individual before. I didn't know how well he would be able to interact. I looked forward to getting to meet him when I was going, but I didn't know what the conversation would be like. And to my delight, he was very engaged, very talkative. He carried the conversation mostly. And toward the end of our conversation, I asked him about his faith. This 93-year-old man, it's never too late to ask someone about the state of their faith. I asked him about his faith, and this is what he said. I became a Christian when I was nine, but as I got older, I understood more. That if I really loved Jesus, I would obey his commandments. So that's what I tried to do, but that's only possible because of the cross. End quote. This is a truth that we as believers must hold together and embrace as believers. And so Paul commends them for their past obedience to God, as you have always obeyed. But then he says, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. They've obeyed in the past in his presence, but Paul wants them to obey even when he's not present. 
You remember, Paul's in prison at the time, this time. He, he can't go to them. He can't be with them as they're obeying. And so he still expects this growing in holiness and godliness. They've done it in his presence, but what about in his absence? See, our true, our true character is revealed when no one's present and no one's watching. And here comes one of the key phrases in the text of verse 12. As you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. What does that mean? What does it mean to work out your own salvation? Well, first notice that he doesn't say work for your salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul is very clear that we cannot work for our salvation, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works. So whatever work out your own salvation means, it's clear that it does not mean work for your salvation. So what does it mean? This idea of working out your salvation is directly linked to obedience earlier in the verse. So as you have always obeyed. It's linked to obedience earlier. He says, you've obeyed in the past in my presence, so now in my absence, work out your own salvation. He could have said, you've obeyed in the past in my presence, so now in my absence, keep on obeying. But instead, he says, work out your own salvation. So what is he doing? Why does he use that phrase? It's because he's not just telling us to obey. The Apostle Paul is telling us how to obey. He's showing us how to be growing in godliness, how to live out our faith. He's showing how obedience works. The theological word for this is sanctification. He's showing us how sanctification works. How do you grow in becoming more like Christ? Work out your own salvation is a command to become like Jesus. It's called to pursue godliness. Working out your own salvation means you're living out the transformed life that Jesus has given to you. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it says, yes, we are saved by grace. This is not a result of works, so no one may boast. But then it says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works to walk in them. Working out your salvation means you're striving for holiness. You're growing in holiness. So in our, in our justification, God declares the sinner righteous, not because of our work, but because of Jesus' work on our behalf. But in our sanctification, God progressively transforms this justified sinner into the likeness of Jesus. Working out your salvation means you seek to live the life that matches the faith that you claim to believe. You work it out. You live it out. You seek to obey God. You seek to be the person He calls you to be. This is the responsibility of every believer.
Do you recognize, believer, that if you are to grow in godliness, it it will require actual work from you? And this is work that takes intentionality, effort, planning, engagement, persistence on your part. No one sets their life on cruise control and then grows in godliness. You're either growing in godliness or you're growing in complacency. This is the reason why Paul chose the word work. Work out your own salvation. If you are to be growing in godliness, it's going to take grace-fueled work on your part. Maybe you've heard the catchy line of let go and let God Well, that's a catchy phrase that may get you a lot of hits on social media, but that is not the teaching of Scripture. God doesn't call us to let go of responsibility. He calls us to engage and to strive in actual effort as we pursue godliness and holiness. Every few few weeks in the summer, I have to spray Roundup around my house where the weeds will grow. If I don't, the weeds will grow larger and larger. You know this experience. If you do not take care of them with persistence and perseverance, the weeds will always come back. And this is a picture of growing in godliness. It takes intentional work to keep killing the weeds that want to entrap your heart and soul. John Owen, a Puritan of the 17th century, said this, Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Believers, do these words characterize your pursuit of godliness? Intentionality, effort, planning, striving, working. Paul says, work out your salvation. In other words, strive to grow in godliness. Brothers and sisters, do we even give consistent thought to this? much less work. Pastor Alistair Begg said this, if truth be told, most of us spend more time each day on personal cleanliness than we do on practical godliness. Well, may it not be so of us. May it not be so of you. If you're a believer, may you be consistently putting forth effort and work to grow in godliness. And that's what Paul tells us about in this first part. You work at it, put forth effort, you do it. But the second part of the text is even more important to your growth in godliness. If you think this has been kind of human-centered so far, it's about to take a radical turn from Paul. When is Paul ever man-centered and not God-centered? Second part, verse 12, work out your salvation With fear and trembling. Do you see that in the text? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now that seems odd. Why should my pursuit of godliness and holiness that I'm working on be in a demeanor of fear and trembling? Verse 13 tells us, for, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for, It is God who works in you. 
one of the more consistent fears of my life that has shown up on a consistent basis has been speaking in front of people. I know it's ironic. In high school, I used to take zeros for class assignments that would make me get up and talk in front of people. Like, he would call me up or they would call me up on, you remember the old overhead projection screens? You could see the hand of someone and it's portraying up on the screen. You should be terrified of going up and speaking in front of a class or going up and writing on a projection screen. Probably the first time I ever spoke in front of a large group, I, I thought I would probably have to get two knee replacements afterwards from them just knocking together the whole time. Just a literal trembling. And why was I so afraid? Because all I could focus on during that time was the presence of people in the room. Like, you guys can be intimidating. All I could focus on is all the eyes, all the focus, that, all the minds of what they're thinking about. The presence of the people made me literally tremble. Why should we pursue godliness with fear and trembling? Because God is present. God Almighty is present in you. The one who made you and everything else. The one who speaks and things come into existence. The one who speaks and things can go out of existence in a moment. The one who knows every star by name and every galaxy by name. The one who stands before mountains and they tremble. The one who controls every storm, every wind, every detail of your life. It is this God that takes up resonance in you and begins to work. If you were to ask me what I thought the main problem with the church is and definitely what I think the main problem with the world is, I would say we do not fear God. We do not tremble at His presence. We take Him so lightly And we don't know him, and that's the problem, church and world alike. We do not grasp the grandeur of God. And while the world irreverently flips God off and discards his greatness and glory, the church cuddles up to him in some kind of shallow fashion as though he were some kind of buddy. And so the world goes on in blind condemnation while the church goes on in shallow knowledge of God because we've convinced ourselves that God is more interested in being our friend than he is in being our Lord. And we've convinced ourselves that it's more important that we feel good about ourselves than it is that we know God. And so we elevate emotion and lightheartedness and we suppress doctrine and devotion. And all the time we're training ourselves to be trivial instead of trembling before his presence. And so the world knows nothing of his power and the church knows nothing of his holiness. And when you begin to grasp who God is, when a text says that it is that God working in you, your response is not light, it's not playing games, it's not jokey, it is trembling. 
May the Lord create in us a spirit of true true fear and trembling before His presence. This is the only response before a holy God. Notice that God is not only present in your pursuing godliness, but God is also working. He's not just giving orders. He's getting his hands in the work. We see it in the text. Verse 13, For it is God who works. He's working. He works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. First, God works in you by producing holy desire. The text says he is working to will and to work, which means before any action is ever taken for holiness, any movement is ever taken from you for godliness, God is at work in your will. Which means God is at work even in our decision making. We don't make a decision and then God works. God works and we make a decision. We could say a lot about the will of man, but Philippians 2.13 makes one thing clear. Ultimately, God has control when he desires, even in the will of man. He works both to will and to work, Philippians 2.13 says. If there's any pursuit of godliness, any desire in you, any willingness, any initiative to pursue godliness, God put that there. It is him working both to will and to work, which is the second way God works in you. He actually works. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work. If you have desires for holiness and then you act to pursue that holiness, that very step, that very work is a result of God working in you. This is is how sanctification works you have any success in godliness it's because God is working in you he's he's the coach pumping the desires and he's on the field doing the work you say well if God is working to will and to work then I don't have to do anything wrong don't forget verse 12 said you work out your salvation if we're to be truly bible people we must hold the tension of all truths of God as they're presented in Scripture, which means sanctification is a work of God. It is a work that He wills and it's a work that He accomplishes. However, it's a work that you pursue. I mean, listen how this is this is all over the Bible. Listen how Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15:10. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. So grace came, I worked harder, though it wasn't I, God's grace worked in me. Colossians 1.29 says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I toil, I struggle with his energy that he works in me. John Piper put it like this, This is the mystery of sanctification. God is working in us both to will and to work, performing a miracle of godliness, and then he tells us to act that miracle out. So how does this look practically? I'm going to close with this. What does this, I mean, this is theological in nature, 
for sure, which every sermon should be, but how does it work out practically in your life this week? What does it look like for you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it's God working in you? Well, growing in godliness means going to war with your sin and temptation. And war starts as soon as you open your eyes in the morning. So you open your eyes, you're laying in bed, and you say a prayer. If you're going to have any success in growing in godliness, it's going to start with prayer and knowledge of God's Word. Which, by the way, there's, there's so much I could say practically about how sanctification works and how growing in godliness works and different tools and strategies to implore in the Christian life. But all I have time for is to work out what this text is talking about, and that is... How is it that you're working and God's working? How can that be? And so you start praying in bed, something like, Lord, I, I want to honor you in every encounter I have today. So would you please give me grace to be able to do that? And then you get up and you encounter your day. And when the kids hit you from all sides and you're tempted to lose patience, you pray and you ask for a patience and you go to war. And when pride seeps in at work, you pray and you ask for humility and you go to war. And when she walks by or you're tempted to go to that website when no one else is around, you pray, you ask for strength and you go to war. When laziness and complacency comes and you have no desire to pick up God's word, you have no desire to pray, you pray you ask for affections to be stirred in you and you go to holy war. When anger flies all over you and you, you feel it in the back of your neck at that driver or that spouse or that family member, that coworker, that boss, you pray and you ask for kindness and you go to war. And whatever it is, greed and jealousy and self-pity and covetousness and idolatry, you pray and you go to war with that sin. And you fight and you plan ahead and you strategize about how you're going to be godly today. And when you succeed in godliness and when you're patient and you're kind and when you run instead of falling into lust and when you respond in humility and when you work hard and when you grow in holiness and when you succeed, you pause and say, God did that. It wasn't me. He did it. All of it. And when you lay your head down at night and you think of your pursuit of godliness and the ways that you said no to sin, you say, thank you, God. Thank you that you worked in me today. Yet not I, but Christ in me. Believer, what are you working toward right now in your life? Perhaps it's a new job. Perhaps it's getting ready to start your final year of school. Perhaps you just finished school and you're looking for your first job. What are you working toward? What's taking your time and energy? A project at work, planning toward vacation. What are you planning for right now? Can I just plead with you to take that zeal and effort that we plan all of our aspects in our lives about and take that zeal and effort and plan toward godliness? Please do not coast in life. 
If you coast, you will not make it. You wake up every day, Lord, give me grace to pursue godliness, and then you work. And you close your eyes at night and say, thank you, God. It is all for his glory and his good pleasure. Let's pray. Oh, God, we, we don't even deserve to come to you in prayer. You as a holy and lifted up God. And yet, because of Christ, you say that we can enter boldly before the throne of grace. Lord, my prayer is that we would be a people who are growing in our likeness of you, that we would be godly people, holy people. Yes, holy because of Christ, but as a result, growing in holiness. Lord, by the power of your Spirit, would you work and make us careful to give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have a time of reflection where you can sit quietly and reflect upon what the Lord has spoken to us in his word. And then we're going to stand and worship of this great God who does work in us. If there's any way that I can pray for you, I will be here uh, participating in worship like the rest of us. I would be glad to pray for you right now. If there's some other way that I can minister you after the service or this week, please don't hesitate to reach out. But whatever the case is, let's reflect in worship now and then let's stand and sing in worship. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.